thank you for joining us for this episode of FEA Today. My name is Matt Costella, Director of the Fundamental Evangelistic Association, headquartered at the Grace Bible Church in Fresno, California. Our hope and prayer is that this brief program will encourage you in the things of the Lord and direct your attention to God's Word as you seek to make sense of the world in which you find yourself today. During the past three broadcasts, we've been considering the influence and rise of postmodernism that has enveloped the professing church, and particularly as it has been expressed in the emerging church movement. In this final episode, we want to consider what our response as Bible-believing Christians should be. How can we keep God and His Word front and center? Well, before we even look at our response, we need to understand that Scripture tells us that this very thing would come upon us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we read, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, Scripture says, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. So what should be our response today? What does the true church of Jesus Christ need to be doing? Let's consider six points of action. First, we need to realize that we are in the midst of a spiritual, social, moral, and theological crisis. And the problems we face are coming at us from three different directions, really from the fundamentalist and evangelical church as it is, from the emerging church system of thought, and from the unbelieving world in which we find ourselves. The current fundamentalist and evangelical churches are often guilty of shallow theology and of making the traditions of men the commandments of God. This, in turn, has only led to hypocrisy in the church and subsequent disillusion and disappointment. Many younger and older Christians have been turned off by the church, and although not an excuse for their bitterness, their arguments are sometimes quite legitimate. The emerging church system of thought has produced a new view of the Bible, a new view of the gospel, a new view of the church, etc., and this is a major problem we must realize and address. At best, the emerging church is a modern theological and ecclesial trend that will soon pass. At worst, it is an apostate, perverted form of Christianity that has created a new God in man's image and, according to Galatians chapter 1, is under God's curse. And as far as the world is concerned, we need to realize that we live in a post-Christian society. Many people now have no basic understanding of Christianity or Christian terms. Thus, the problems we face are real and multifaceted. We have to understand we do live in a world vastly different than it was only 10 or 20 years ago, and it's only going to continue to change exponentially. Technology, multiculturalism, religious pluralism, and world politics are continually in flux. As discerning, fundamental, Bible-believing Christians, we can't live life in this century with our heads in the sand, so to speak, only concerned about our own small world and circles in which we find ourselves. We must educate ourselves concerning the crisis in the world and the church, and we must inspect and judge our own lives, our own churches and ministries to determine whether or not we're actually part of the problem. The second response that we should have in the world today is we need to possess a proper view of Scripture and understanding how to properly interpret it. 
The foundational problem of postmodern's influence on the church is its approach to God's word and its faulty hermeneutic. Nothing is more important to the 21st century believer than to know God's word and to understand how to interpret it and apply it to life. The only way we know about God's person and work and his desire for us is through his word to us. So we need to have a proper understanding, first of all, concerning the Bible itself. We have to understand scripture as the written word of God, which makes known the person and will of the living word. We have to realize that the written word is completely true and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God desires that we take the same approach to his word as did the Thessalonian believers in the first century. The apostle Paul commended these saints. For this cause, we thank God without ceasing, he wrote, because when he received the word of God, which he heard of us, he received it not as just the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The Bible is completely sufficient to make the believer everything that God wants us to be. Concerning the gospel, we have to understand, we don't need to still attempt to figure out what the gospel entails, as Brian McLaren has declared and we pointed out in previous broadcasts. The good news is that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin in our place. We can then receive a free gift of eternal life and a personal relationship with God through faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The good news is the ability to have spiritual life now and forever. It's the ability to possess fellowship and relationship with God now and forever. It is the ability to have victory over not only hell and death, but sin in the life as well. The good news is not social reform or cultural renewal. God's word correctly interpreted and applied bears this out. We have to have a proper understanding concerning the church, its purpose, and its mission. We must understand the difference between the church gathered and the church scattered. The purpose of the local church is spelled out in Paul's letter to the Ephesians when he referred to the gifts God gave to the church. When saints gather together for fellowship and worship, they are to be equipped to do the work of the ministry for the edification of Christ's body. This is accomplished through preaching and teaching of God's word. And as these individual believers, as we scatter into the world on a day-by-day basis, we are to minister as witnesses of the light in a world of darkness, looking for open doors of opportunity to build personal relationships with people and share the truth with them. And we need to have a proper understanding concerning the kingdom of God and eschatology, future things. We have to understand the kingdom of which Jesus spoke and proclaimed is not something we are to establish on earth, but something God will establish yet future. That does not give us permission to abuse God's creation, yet it does not give us permission to change our focus from the spiritual needs of man to the physical needs of man or the planet either. The New Testament epistles clearly spell out our duty on this earth with the time God has given us. And while these creation care and other things should be in our minds, it's not our focus as believers. The third way in which we are to respond is that we truly need to understand why we believe what we believe. During the past century, the church has created an army of people who may know all the right answers, but who can't explain why they believe what they believe or why they do what they do. When challenged as to whether or not something is truly scriptural, many Christians today either cannot give an answer or they're simply parrot the one-liners delivered to them by their pastors or church leaders. 
That kind of Christianity is completely foreign to the New Testament church that received God's word in truth, searched God's word in an effort to discern truth from error, knew how to live their lives as a result of their understanding of God's word, and then were ably able to defend the truth from the inroads of error. The fourth thing we need to do is evangelism in a relational way. This is where I believe many of the fundamentalist churches really have had it wrong, and the emerging church sometimes does have it right. Historically, our churches have been so wedded to forms of evangelism that seek instant results and conversions, rather than taking the time to get to know people, gain their trust, and answer their questions. While it's true that this will not grow our churches as fast as we would like, it allows the Holy Spirit the opportunity to convict the heart of the unbeliever, and it will bolster our churches with true believers rather than unregenerate, quote-unquote, converts. Historically, our churches have been great at making converts and horrible at making true disciples. We need to evangelize as Jesus did with Nicodemus and the woman at the well of Samaria. As they crossed his path, he took the time to talk with them, to answer their questions, to declare the truth in an attitude of love and compassion. The fifth response we need to have is to understand the role of certainty in relation to truth. Of course, we don't have all the answers, nor should we claim to have all the answers. An attitude of humility must always be a hallmark of the child of God. Yet throughout scripture, we find exhortations to steadfastness, certainty, to keep the faith, to be established. We must understand the role that certainty plays. The Holy Spirit communicated to Paul the truth that we find in his letter to the church at Corinth. And Paul wrote that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Scripture is the very word of God and it is written to us so we might know what God would have us to know. The Apostle John, likewise, writing in his epistle, he noted that the believers should know that they possess and have eternal life. So it's so important that we understand we are humbly confident in the truth and certain of it. We can know the truth. This is why God has given us his word. Six, we need to refuse today to make the traditions of men the commandments of God. In other words, we need to realize that it is actually possible for us to make the word of God of none effect through our tradition. Mark chapter 7 and verse 13. In many churches, we, we go through the motions simply because that's the way it has always been done. Some of our methods and forms can be and probably should be changed without sacrificing fidelity to God's word. We must not find ourselves trapped in a tradition, and we must especially avoid trying to find biblical justification for those kinds of traditions. That type of religiosity has adversely affected the world and the church and is one reason why the emerging church has crept onto the scene. So these are six very important points of action, I believe, that we need to embrace and accept as Bible-believing fundamental Christians today. We need to realize we're in the midst of a spiritual, social, moral, and theological crisis. We need to possess a proper view of God's word and understand how to interpret it concerning the Bible, concerning the gospel, concerning the purpose and mission of the church, concerning the kingdom and future things. 
We need to truly understand why we believe what we believe. We need to own the truth and have a conviction of it. We need to truly do evangelism in a relational way rather than just trying to take somebody through a a program or a recitation of some words. We need to understand the role of certainty in relation to truth. We can know the truth and we can be certain of it, even though there are many things we may not fully understand. Certainty is extremely important today, yet we should always be certain within the realm of humility. We must be humble, yet certain of the truth that God has given to us. And finally, we need to refuse to make the traditions of men the commandments of God. I think that has served really as much of the impetus for the postmodern ideas in the church today, and especially the emerging church movement. So, Really, in conclusion, the point that I would like to make is this. The new evangelicalism of the 1950s, 60s, and onward, with its desire to be respected by the world and its disdain of doctrinal certainty and biblical separation, has really fostered the way for the postmodern emergent philosophy that has permeated the church at the turn of the 20th century, and the turn of the 21st century, and we're facing the repercussions of this today. Truth exists and it can be known and it must be known. And the true church of Jesus Christ is the only hope. So we must make the truth known. If you have time, go ahead and read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21, where the apostle Peter makes this very clear. I thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these last four episodes of FEA today and our focus on postmodern Christianity and the emerging church. If you'd like a a pamphlet that we can provide for you here at the FEA, feel free to give us a call at area code 559, area code 559-298-4574. That's area code 559-298-4574. And just ask for a free copy of our pamphlet, our leaflet that we have on the emerging church movement. And it kind of summarizes what we've been going through here over these last uh, four weeks. And we trust that it will be a blessing to you. I thank you for listening. And until next time, may the Lord continue to bless you.